These tools are for you to use. Hey, I'm Dave Marr. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, my conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My guest this week is Whitney Wasson. Whitney is a stand-up, a visual artist, uh, a drawer of comics, a, a fellow independent creative soul. There, there are a handful of people Bill Stern, my friend from a few episodes, maybe a couple, maybe like 10 episodes back now. But these people who are independent, creative, comedy adjacent people who are pursuing their own vision kind of outside of the bounds of institutions traditionally. And Whitney is one of those people one of these people that I consider sort of a comrade in arms. I'm very grateful for them, and I'm very grateful that you're going to get to hear this amazing conversation. Whitney is a sober person. So am I. We talk a lot about sobriety. There's a bunch of, you know, general content warning here. There's a bunch of mental illness, sort of suicidal ideation, addiction talk. So be warned of that. If you're suffering from addiction, please know that there's help out there. I know it's not always the most helpful thing to say, reach out. It's like, I can't reach out. That's the fucking problem. But if somehow you do get a stroke of energy and all you can do is email me, you're welcome to do that. My email is thisisdavemar at gmail.com. I'm not having the greatest time either, so I'm, I welcome a conversation. Let's, let's talk. I can at least talk about how life is better now, being sober. But you'll hear me talk to Whitney about that. Anyway. I also want to let you know that you can listen to an extended version of this episode on Patreon. If you go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr, you will find the full episode and there is a link to the transcript in the show notes. So if you have any deaf or hard of hearing friends who are looking for new podcasts, please point them to that. I've also linked all of Whitney's stuff in the show notes check out their webcomic, check out their merch, check out their comedy. Whitney is great on all fronts. So before we get into it, I want to thank my Pigeon Level supporters on Patreon, Kurt Chang, Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, and Fred Fidawa. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend, whether that's individually or publicly. You want to leave a review, subscribe, leave a rating. It's all, it's all good, man. So, please enjoy my conversation with Whitney Wasson. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like it's... Maybe this is the way. Tell me when people asked about like what you do artistically, what you said before COVID, and what you say now, if it's different. Oh, it's so different. Um, <laughs> it's so, so different. Before, I would have said very stubbornly, I am a stand-up comedian. And also I'm a writer and also I'm an artist, but, but comedian, boom, I'm a stand up. That's what I've been doing. And now, um, and now it's, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm a stand up comedian. And that's, that's like a subtle distinction, but it makes me so sad because it's like, I'm a dormant stand up comedian. Um, yeah. Isn't that, are you the one who in their like social media bio, like says dormant stand up comedian? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So wait, visual. So artist, you mean like visual artist? Yes, and I 
I might even say cartoonist or comic book artist. I haven't really, um, I feel like illustrator is too formal. So. Oh, really? Figuring that I don't out. know that world enough. Illustrator is like a formal. It sounds to me like children's books and I draw alcoholic rabbits. So I feel <laughs> like that's not <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> um, so, so what, why? Well, I mean, I guess I know kind of why the disappointment at the switch, but tell me more about it, about the like feeling of defeat involved there. Well, you know, like, like I was telling you in March, I had just, um, (laughs) I was able to walk again after getting hit by a car the previous October. Wait, March was when the, was when you got your, well, you'd had your cast off for a while, right? Yes. But I officially got the go ahead to, uh, not use the walker anymore. Um, In March, 2020. Late. Yeah. And I, I was out of the boot. I was out of the cast. I was just trying to walk without my little cart. And um, so that's why I was so excited to have like this tour and these conference shows, like a couple of recovery events. And then this, um, this club weekend in Detroit. And so I was like raring to go. And I was like, this is going to be like a comedy renaissance for me after being laid out with this broken foot and injuries from getting hit by a car. And then uh, my friend got the flu and we were like, Cause we were going to tour together and, and we were like, well, we better just be safe and let's maybe cancel the first couple of days. And then we realized, Oh my God, this COVID thing is for real. He might have COVID. And then that's when just the world blew up. And so March 10th is really when I shut the door and was done right. with stand up. So, and you got hit by the car in late 2019. Yes. Yeah. Man, in my, my my perception of that event for you is that this has been going on for like four years. It feels like it because it's so strange. I am normally such a busy person. I, you know, even though I wasn't able to be on the road as much, you know, in the past couple of years, um, I still would do a couple festivals a year. I would do some out of town stuff. And so to suddenly at the end of the year be laid out. You know, I actually went to Arkansas and did a, um, I did close to an hour on my broken foot because I needed the money. So, but then after that, you know, I was like, I'm going to be on the mend. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm not going to move from the couch. Um, and then that's as I was getting, Oh wait, you did an hour with a broken foot or the hour was about your broken. No, no, no. I did that hour on the broken foot. (laughs) Uh, wait, you still say, are saying on. What do you mean? It, Standing it the, up. I stood okay, up okay, okay, for okay, okay. close to an hour and told jokes. But no, I, I don't. I mean, at this point, I probably do have an hour about how bizarre the whole experience was. But now I told my usual, the act, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> how much How much do you think is going to survive after this of of the act? You know, it's so confusing because it's like, I guess fundamentally I'm the same person. But the world has changed so much. So even just jokes, you know, throw away stuff about I was at the store, you know, or whatever. Like it's not relevant anymore. I've ordered my groceries for like a year. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I think that like fundamentally the identity stuff of like being Southern, being poor, you know, being queer, obviously that hasn't changed. But um everything else, you know, I was just getting into material about having gotten married recently and, you know, the sort of mid thirties thing of like, wow, is this who I am? And now it's, it's been upended so much, you know, who am I? Who are you? Like, what are we even going to find out about ourselves as this stretches on? 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wish you hadn't roped me into it because uh... <laughs> <laughs> the look of panic on your face. <laughs> What do you hope happens when you die? I think that it shifted for me. I was a very militant um, atheist. I mean, I still am, but I was very hardcore, like growing up in the Bible belt, like when you die, you're dead and that's it. Like get over it. And now I think that that's probably what it is. I think that when you die, you know, even you're, even if we have a soul or something that we're sort of done, um, but if if it were up to me, I love the idea of the fluffy heaven of clouds and, you know, you get to see all your friends and family and you're healthy again. And and I think that some of that's probably been informed by not getting to see my friends and family in more than a year. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Just a full on traditional Christian cartoon heaven. If if that was the case, I would be okay with it. Now, if I got yeah. to um, direct a little and produce, which I love to do, yes, I would. I would get course. to morph it a little bit. How how would you morph it? You know, I would like for it to be. Even though I'm a sober person, I would like for it to be this huge house party with everybody that you'd want to see ever. And maybe it's a band that you like that plays. Maybe all the bands you like play. Like, but I, well, but is it you or is it is it you as in the general you or is it you as in you? Me specifically. Who are your bands? Who are my bands? Well, they're still alive, so I don't want to kill them for my heaven. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you can set. You can allow them entry over time. But you know, I have been thinking that most of the people that I listen to are dead. <laughs> musically right now i've been listening to a ton of jazz so maybe it's all the the dead jazz musicians that i love and the the people who have chosen to opt out who are more of our contemporaries you know sure (laughs) chosen to opt out yes i appreciate that uh (laughs) because you're like you're a bill evans guy right oh completely yeah yeah i I didn't realize that until you started you started like posting about jazz stuff and it, it is I mean, it's nice when someone, someone's tastes don't quite gel with your image of them. But that was <laughs> I had not pegged you for a jazz aficionado. Oh, I'm an obnoxious jazz person now. That's something Who that else? I think. Well, um, I love Chet Baker. Um, okay. And I've started getting into Grant Green um, and Oscar Peterson. A lot, a lot mm. of uh, artists that I like are predominantly soloists but have uh-huh. like a quartet or a trio or something like Chet kind Baker. of romantic-y right like kind of like <laughs> soft ballady romantic-y stuff does no, that feel right I think more like sitting alone smoking a cigarette looking outside at the rain oh, and maybe you would think that's romantic me. but I think more bleak okay. <laughs> solitary but you know it's hard to say that it's romantic when like all of these people died of heroin overdoses or like Chet Baker was drunk and fell out of a window and died. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's romance to that of sure. certain people's idea of romance. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it sounds like the clouds in heaven are rain clouds for you. You know, maybe. And I think that if I was at my most selfish, because again, this is my heaven and I get to choose. It's like this um, sort of tender mix of jazz. And then Elliot Smith comes on whenever he's feeling like it. He doesn't have to all the time, (laughs) you know, but he's in his prime and he plays. He does a set. 
you know, so like a very cool, perfect house party where like the vibe is good, the, the little Christmas lights are nice, you know. I feel like my bar is really low now that I'm saying this. Well, no, I don't think so. But I don't think of Elliot Smith as house party music. Yeah. You do? Uh, we did a lot of drugs and just sat around and talked about death at <laughs> my house parties, which is why okay. all my friends are dead now. <laughs> oh my god because i re- i just remember in college one time someone putting on kid a at oh, a party man. and yeah. i was like this is not party music <laughs> like to hear like weird floating tom york vocals like <laughs> get the fuck out of here man like play something fun and upbeat like, i like this but this is not what this is meant yeah for. that's that's like a party vibe killer but i don't know then again my friends and i were definitely the ones at like the hometown bar that would put on tom waits on the jukebox to alienate everyone and then it would clear out the bar and it would be the people that you wanted to hang out with and so that could be a pretty good uh herd thinning technique music wise yes that that makes sense but is there the um sobriety Mm. does is that something because you mentioned it being a house party would you still want to be sober in heaven or would you want some sort of relationship (laughs) with mind altering substances that is not addictive? That's a really dangerous question because my (laughs) first thought is I'm loaded, but no, um, no, not really. I mean, I think that um, bummer as it can be getting sober made me find the kind of parties or kind of people that I want to be around versus what I'm supposed to like or how I'm supposed to be. So I think it's probably not going to be an equation in my heaven because also it would it would kill all the jazz musicians again if that was the case. It would take them out. You, so you say, you're saying there's like an inception level of heaven where they would have to be kind of constantly ascending or descending if you there know, were substances involved. It's hard for me to think of anything as absolutely pure and absolutely safe. And I think that that's just <laughs> been... Maybe that's a trauma response, my therapist might say. But I've just lived in such peril that it's hard for me to think of like, okay, now all of your woes are gone and now everything is fine. So I still feel like there's some sort of morality to my heaven of like, you have to stay clean, man. You have to be cool. (laughs) Well, let's talk about funeral planning. Yes, let's. Do you have thoughts, desires, wishes for how you would want yours to go? You know, it changes. Now uh, I am 34. I have attended several funerals. I am looking to probably plan my best friend's funeral in a couple months. Um, The one, oh, wow. So they died six months ago and they still haven't had a funeral. No, no, no. It's been, it was a little too, it was too much. So we actually tried to get together with our close friends on Zoom, but like even, it sounds easy, just like pop on Zoom, but like work schedules and family schedules, you know, it's like, when is a good time to discuss our friend who just died tragically? Oh, well, right. Um, Because it's not just schedules. It's like, mm -hmm. can you handle talking about this right now? Yes. And so that has cast my own kind of plans in a totally different light. Like I now understand why people um, make a will and why they like have a plan for like cremation or whatever. So 
as far as like the basics of like what would happen if I died, I don't have any, <laughs> I'm not planning on dying anytime soon, which is new for me. Um, but I, I don't have any of those basics figured out. But I do know that um, I would love to have a sprawling, but well produced, like multi day event for my funeral. That's, that's, I think the thing like that's a festival. Consistent. Maybe like a festival, but I think more like, um, you know what? Yeah, it's a festival. <laughs> I'm trying to pitch it as something other than a festival. Like. <laughs> what acts are there? What is it? It's comedy. It's circus. It's a, it's a music festival. It's a theater event. You know, like, durational performance art. I know so many circus people that they could do their thing if they wanted to. But I, I think that, um, you know, having all of these kind of limitations for my friend's funeral has made me think bigger for my own plans. So I think that I would like to have, um, if anyone wants to give a eulogy, they can do it. Like they can absolutely, like we have a lot of the time for like, if somebody, you know, if one of my best friends wants to talk for like 45 minutes to an hour, that's fine. But if somebody also wants to posture and wants to get in in a networking kind of way, and they also want to talk for 45 minutes, maybe they want to pitch their thing. They got merch to sell. Like we're all trying to make a living. Like You're down for that. You want to, you want to facilitate I, that. I think I would, well, I couldn't facilitate it, but I think well, that I well, would. Well, in a way though, not actively. <laughs> I'm always producing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's so hard to kill that skill. Like in the um, pandemic, I'm still like, what if I did a Zoom show where, and I'm like, everyone is exhausted. No one wants that. Um, but no, I think that I would, um, you know, I like all those uh maudlin movies and just overwrought sort of rom-coms where somebody gets to like say their piece at a eulogy and gets to just like go all out so i would love to give somebody the space to just totally be like they were the love of my life you know and who who cares if it's true or false like so so i would like something that's like sprawling and tender and maybe overdone a little bit you know so i definitely want like the southern funeral buffet like that will be an element to like, everyone should bring a casserole. They should feel obligated to bring a casserole. Um, so there would be, there would be speeches, there would be food. I kind of like the idea of having um, like Festivus style, like there's airing of the grievances, but then there's also feats of strength. Like if anybody wanted to fight about it, I think that that's okay too. Yo, wow. I love that. <laughs> what would they be fighting over exactly? I would like to think that exes would fight over, who has, uh, you know, who had it worst <laughs> like, <laughs> with you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I, w I would like them to fight if they don't feel comfortable doing it. Then if my friends wanted to fight an ex or if they wanted to fight like a former math teacher of mine, like, I think that if anybody wants to just get it out of their system, it would be fine, you know, at my funeral. Cause I think that I'm, I'm pretty known for being blunt and probably saying more than I should. So if people wanted to do that in my memory, I think it would be totally honorable, you know, it would there's something really generous about this. That's very, it feels like life, one's life as an arena for other people to walk through, you know, less like they're in your movie and like all of the movies that you are facilitating by being alive yourself. It's like, one of your friends remembering one of your teachers and choosing to create a conflict there. Like, I don't know. There's something kind of beautiful about that. Hey, what from my life would you like to celebrate or participate in or think about today? Something like, I mean, something along those lines, because my favorite stories in, 
in capital L literature are novels where it's someone's whole life. So like think like World According to Garb, where it's from birth to death, spoiler alert, but you know, like where you get to see the whole picture. And so I would love, you know, sort of a World According to Garb or Big Fish sort of thing where it's like Mm. everybody in my life, if they wanted to get together, you know, and duke it out, then I'm providing a space for them. (laughs) (laughs) The next thing I want to ask you is to relive one memory. And there are some parameters around this. So the premise is that in the afterlife, there is essentially a room where you get to choose one memory from your life to drop down into and completely relive. It's not that all the others are wiped. It's just that this is the one you get to re-inhabit, but you only get to choose one. You can relive it as many times as you want. It's there for you to pop into whenever you feel the need or desire. If that were the case, what memory would you choose? Well, I'm sure that if I was really on the spot and panicked, um, and it's sort of like a um, uh, Albert Brooks style <laughs> moment where it has to be chosen under duress and your decision is final, because I envision sort of an Albert Brooks tinge to my afterlife. Um, okay. I, uh, I'm sure I could come up with something lovely from my childhood, but if I'm telling you now, um, I think when I met, uh, the day that I met Kyle, who is my husband, if I could relive that, it was such an odd experience that I would like to see the details again and sort of go over it and see what happened. Okay. Well, let's go over it. How so? What was odd about it? (laughs) So, um, we didn't get to have a wedding because of COVID. So I feel like if I was giving some sort of like, um, if I was doing five minutes for my wedding, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's too weird, I think, to really share this with my family. But when I met Kyle, I had been in Chicago for a week. I was very set on being single. Um, I was out of a, freshly out of a relationship. And so at the time, I thought, I've just moved to the big city, swing and single. Let's meet some people and get laid. But like no, nothing serious, no feelings. And so I was dicking around on the apps like you do. When you're in that mode of I'm not going to meet anyone. And then you're like swiping faces. Um, And so I was like swiping faces and Kyle's profile photo on OkCupid was um, the drag queen, Lucy stool uh, as divine. So that was the picture that he chose for his dating profile. Uh, Okay. No idea why, but that it made him laugh. So he did that. And so I was like, you know what? (laughs) Whoever did you know who is. Lucy Stuhl was at that point? I did, yeah, because she's okay. so famous. Um, but I was still just like, divine drag? Like, what is going on? So anyway, I, I swiped on his face, and he liked a bunch of movies that I liked. And I didn't even really get a big sense of what he looked like. I just saw, like, a mess of curly hair and, like, kind of wild eyes. And so I was like, okay, that's fair. That fits the bill. Um, but so I basically, because I wasn't investing anything in this date, Um, I was just, it was like midnight and we'd both, um, we were out that night doing stuff separately. And so I was like, do you want to just like meet at the taco place nearby and we can just like have a drink and talk? Like, I mean, didn't care. You know, this wasn't like, I didn't get dressed up. This was just like, this person seems interesting. Let's do it. Which, um, when I've talked to other people sort of feels like there's a through line of like, you're, you don't have much invested when you meet this important person. But anyway, so we go to this taco place, uh, in Rogers park where I was living at the time. And, um, what taco place do you remember? It was Susupato. It's so good. 
Okay. It's right by the Granville Red Line, which is where I lived. Um, but so, so I leave to go to this taco place and I'm just, you know, again, probably a little drunk from doing shows and stuff. I was like, whatever, this is going to be fine. But so here's the weird thing. I was uh, about to cross the street right there where Ann Sather is on the corner. And I saw who I assumed was Kyle across the street because he didn't really have good pictures in his profile. But, you know, I was just like, okay, whatever. So this is probably the guy. So I saw him like running from the train, basically. So like he was late. And so he like ran from the train. He stopped in front of Ann Sather, which was closed at the time, took off his shoes and socks and changed socks. (laughs) And that was such a bizarre. Like, I've never gone on a date with anyone who changed their socks prior to the date. And I I don't know what that... So, like, I've asked him, like, what the hell was that? And he was probably just... I think he said, like, I was just sweaty from being out, so I didn't want to be gross. And so, anyway, I watched this man across the street, the strange man, change his socks and then go into this restaurant and sit down as if, like, none of that had happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was so interested because, like, what the hell was that? That when I went in to talk to him... I was just totally primed for like, okay, whatever this experience is going to be, let's do it. And we were both so poor that we had only brought the alcohol that we were both hoarding. So I think I brought whiskey and he brought like ciders or something. And we, both of us were trying to avoid ordering food because we were broke. And so we got the free chips and salsa, you know, because we're broke. And we were drinking and I think we ordered um, like a piece of tres leches cake or something. It was like one thing. It was like that or flan. And, um, we ordered that and just sort of talked and, and I had just completely, I had the wrong idea about the experience. Like I went in thinking like, here's just some rando guy. We're probably going to hook up. And he was just this brilliant, strange, funny, like wild eyed person. And I don't even remember what we talked about. Cause you know, again, we were drinking heavily. Um, but I was just completely disarmed by the situation. And I think that that's been true when I've met important people in my life. Like when I met my, my late best friend, you know, um, when I had a real adult conversation with my younger sister or when I met somebody in sobriety that was really important. I remember feeling the same feeling of like, wow, I, I'm unprepared for the situation that is happening. Um, but with Kyle, that was just such a bizarre experience that I would love the opportunity to go back and be like, Let's dissect the situation. Why is this man changing his socks on the street? And what did he think was going to happen at this date? You know? Now I want to ask you, what's your coma? In the sense of any event, big or small, it doesn't have to be epic, where, you know, for me, I got sober after the coma all sorts of, uh, lost a bunch of friends, <laughs> decided I didn't want a bunch of friends, you know, um, got serious about, became more hardworking, all this sort of stuff. And so I'm wondering for you, if there is a moment or an experience, just one that has a clear before and after in your personality or life like that. Hmm. I feel like there's a couple of them, um, but uh, the the final rock bottom moment for me <laughs> that led to me getting sober um, was actually a great night, and so um, I feel like that's 
that stands out to me in all of my vast drinking experiences. You know, I've got all sorts of like fun party stories or war stories or whatever to, to demonstrate how bad I was at drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last night uh, that I drank was a great night. Um, and it was a uh, Maria Bamford show. Um, so <laughs> it's just very, the whole thing was very emblematic of my Chicago experience of um, I worked on Lincoln Avenue at the time. So I drank at the Lincoln tap room. I don't know if you've ever been there or done shows. Wait, is that across from the church? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's it's right there by the Athenaeum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I worked on the other side of Lincoln. I worked over there. So um, I went to uh, the Maria Bamford show. And I went with a good comedian friend of mine. And we drank red wine. And it was great. And um the wonderful Becca O'Neill open. So that was cool too. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like this great, like raw experience. And then um, my friend was bartending at the Lincoln tap room. So after that, let's continue to party. And I drank all of the whiskey there. Um, and I think probably got his bartending privileges <laughs> revoked for a while. It was really bad. Um, so I was having such a great night that I overdid it. And I called an Uber to somewhere. I don't know. Uh, wound up probably an hour or so from my apartment. I think either I had typed in the wrong location or the poor Uber driver was trying to help me and it wound up. So anyway, I wound up walking all these many hours getting hurt blah, 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 and I wound up back at my um, Rogers Park apartment uh, having scared the shit out of Kyle who had not heard from me uh, since I had said, yay, Maria Manford, radio silence. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I woke up the next morning um, or, you know, a day after that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It was really bad. Um, very sick. Uh, and it occurred to me that I was actually I had been sick. I had been drinking myself sick um, in the way that I had done for many years. But, you know, I was 29 at the time and I wasn't springing back like I used to. Uh-huh. Um So anyway, I woke up really sick and uh, I was in my shitty garden apartment alone. Everyone was mad. And I had this this feeling that maybe I would even say was a spiritual experience of it was um, real to me then that I was going to die from this. You know, it wasn't like some sort of in the future, this may kill me. It was, oh, this is going to kill me now. You know, like this could have killed me last night. Like I could have fallen down the train platform. I could have gotten into a car and I was never seen again, you know, mm-hmm. like there were so many instances, my body was, I was having a lot of really gross health problems because of drinking, you know? Um, like so I what? was moving. Well, I, I threw up blood the day after that. So. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I had, uh, to- I think I'd torn something in my throat throwing up. Um, oh, or it was wow. intestinal. Yeah. It was, I was a hardcore drinker. This wasn't like a, this, you know, that, uh, Friday night or whatever, that was just one of many nights of my yeah, drinking. Yeah, yeah, right, of course. Yeah, so I threw up blood, and that was a real uh, wake-up call. But I had done it before and kept drinking. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Anyway, that was that was a true wake-up call for me, and and it wasn't even my rock-bottom moment because I had had so many before that that were more demoralizing, more upsetting, more complicated. Um, but it made me just go, you know what? Who gives a shot? And so I had tried to help a friend. Uh, back home before I moved, who was in a bad way and who has since gotten sober and is doing great too. Um, But at the time in Arkansas, I had Googled 12 step meetings, help, how can I help someone? And I had talked to- While you uh, weren't sober. 
while I was not sober, I was probably drunk at the time, but I'm sure, I'm sure the nice person doing service at their office, when I was like, I need to help a friend, they were probably like, yeah, sure, you need to help yeah, a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I had genuinely tried to help uh, my friend. And then, so I still had that vague awareness of like, those people that I talked to were really nice. And so I literally Googled like sober meetings near me. And I don't think I went that day. I think it took like two days for me to get up the nerve. But um, then I went into the beautiful church that I mentioned. And, you know, being an atheist in the Bible Belt, being a queer person that dealt with a lot of messed up homophobia and and that sort of stuff back home. Me going into a church was something that I never thought would happen. And that has... It's changed my life, you know. I'm. We have become friends through a show that it, that I did that was for mm-hmm. sober people. I mm-hmm. now draw um, a comic about staying sober. You know that that just merely the act of asking for help was something that I hadn't really done prior to that point, and that's when I opened myself up to, you know, maybe you can't do it alone. Like maybe you do need help from other people, as it turns out. And my life is so much better, even after getting hit by a car even after losing my friend, even the pandemic, even being stuck in the small apartment. Like it's, I'm so relieved I'm sober. So that's what's insane, man. If you had told yourself, so you'll get sober. And then after that is when (laughs) bam, 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 Mm -hmm. these things happen. You'd be like, that sounds fucking terrible. I'm going to stay here. I'll, I'll find some gauze and swallow some gauze to stop picking up this blood or something, you know? Yeah. But it is true. That it mm-hmm. is somehow still better. Yeah. The the magical word I say is manageable. You know, that that's the whole thing that's yeah. different for me now. Yep. It's manageable. Yep. It's awful. I'm pretty unhappy right now. And things are really scary. But it's manageable. I can handle it. You know. I just had six years and my big like so, you know, I, I've I've there was a while when I was really stoked on it and I was like on anniversaries I would post and I'm like, I'm really available if you need help, you know? And then sometimes it just felt, I was just putting the pressure on myself to like Mm -hmm. say the perfect anniversary thing. And -hmm. this year I'm just like not in a good way. And I was like, honestly, I just need some very cheap affirmation from people. So I'm just going to say something. And it was like, you know, I think I said something like "Eh, life is really hard now, but technically better, you know? And that Mm -hmm. is, yeah, that's, that's, what it's been for me too. But so other than the removal of the substances, Mm -hmm. it sounds like there is some, what was the ability to ask for help? Would you say that is the big personality shift for you? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you know, it's, it's tricky because like, I think that, um, I think that fundamentally I'm the same person, but I think that my behaviors are so different. You know, like, I don't think that, um, getting so what does that mean then if you're, what, what does it mean to be fundamentally the same person with such different behaviors? Well, I'm not acting on the alcoholic impulses that I used to, you know what I mean? And that would have been, let's, uh, squash all feelings. Let's not have them. Let's avoid situations where I could be hurt. Um, let's be dishonest with people if it keeps them in my life, you know, just Stuff that um, at the time I was spinning as a positive thing, which is like, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, so I'm going to fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Um, Things that kept me in uh, harmful relationships and with friendships that didn't really serve me and, you know, business partnerships that that weren't great. You know, like I was just a very avoidant person when I was drinking and that kind of kept the the hamster wheel of those um, bad behaviors going. So being able to ask for help, you know, also means I'm not in those situations anymore that, 
that were bad for me. And that can be all the way from being in a bar that's dangerous um, or being in a relationship that's dangerous or, mm -hmm. you know, like it's just uh, I, I'm out of that now. So I feel like I still have all those same feelings of like, I want to be selfish. I want to lie to people if it suits my needs, but I, I can't act on it and then be sober. It's, it's too painful. Like, I don't, I don't know if you've had an experience like that where you're like, Ugh, I can't do it sober. Like I can't. Dude. Okay. So my brother, I don't think listens to my podcast, which is, <laughs> which I'm fine with. So mm -hmm. I, I think I probably won't edit this out, but, but, a thing that I've been thinking about and riffing on with friends and forwarding this text message along to people mm -hmm. over and over is his like congratulations to me for being sober for six years, which for, I wasn't expecting anyone to like send me anything, send me any mm -hmm. text, whatever. It, it's like, it's fine. It's my personal thing. But my family, uh, my mom and dad and my sister and brother all sent me texts. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad and sister all sent them the day of the actual anniversary. Oh, um, no. And, and it was like, we love you. I, I love you. I appreciate you. Congratulations. Real simple, real quick. His came the next day, which would not be a problem for me if the text itself were not annoying. Oh, and, no. it's, and it said, congratulations. It's definitely something to celebrate. And then it went into this thing. I, I don't want to quote it exactly because I want to leave it <laughs> oh, kind of no. vague. But it was like, I challenge you to dig. I challenge and encourage you to dig deeper about the, the sacrifice your parents have made to get you here. Certainly it is God's love and grace that has blah, blah, blah. And I was like, first of all, we have the same parents. What are you talking about? Your parents, you know, like, and all this weird condescending uh. language. And I was like, I didn't respond for a, for a day. It, partially because it was just like, how do I respond to this? I'm going to keep mm -hmm. putting it off and forwarding it to friends to laugh at and, and riff on, you know? And then I finally did respond and it was like, so I, and then I forwarded a friend, my response and she was, and she was like, that was so nice. You know, I was like, I was like, how are you guys? Cause he has a kid, you know, and his mm -hmm. wife and, and, and I was like, thanks so much. Technically it was the day before, but I'll take congratulations any day. How are you guys doing? Um, and, and she was like, that was so nice. And I was like, the whole point of this story is that yes, it, I'm nice now. I, I, not inside, but I am, but I am actually, as it nice turns now. out, you're pretty nice now. Right. And so the thing of like being fundamentally the same person with different behavior, I asked that, but the way that you reflecting it back to me, like makes sense is like, oh, everyone has terrible thoughts. Everyone, you know, has thought of elaborate ways to kill people they hate or whatever. But now you don't, you know, entertain them as long or act on the less murderous ones. Uh, and that is a genuine, my problem is that I still get feel guilt for even feeling the thoughts. I'm like, Oh, if yeah. I'm supposed to be a better person, I shouldn't even have these thoughts, yeah. but I don't think that's realistic. It's, it's tough because like the, you know, it's, it's helped me to read a lot about, um, uh, brain stuff related to addiction and related to trauma. Um, I just finished, this is such like a barometer of where I am, but I just finished the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Uh, have you read this? It's funny. I just heard about it from my partner. Hope is a, like she's, she's in a like trauma informed yoga program right now. Ooh. And apparently like there, it, like it's a, the person who wrote it is like a little bit like, 
there's some bad stuff there. No, don't I tell know, me that. I, I just I didn't want to ruin it for you, but, but pretend I didn't say that and tell me what yeah. your experience with it was. Well, so, um, and I'm, you know, it stands to reason that like a lot of people in the field of, um, of mental health and especially recovery, like it often turns out way later that, you know, this wonderful story that you're hearing about this person, there's actually a flip side of like mm-hmm. somebody was victimized by this person or had a right. horrible working relationship. So like, I'm, I would not be surprised. Um, especially with a therapist that's focusing on trauma, like there's huge trespasses that could occur, but anyway, it's, it's sort of the seminal work on what PTSD does to your body. Mm-hmm. And the part that's useful for me in a recovery sense is, so much of this behavior that I thought was tied to drinking to, um, you know, like this is an alcoholic behavior of mine. This is, I was doing it because I was drunk was actually like coping with PTSD. And I think that that's true for many people who had serious addiction problems. You know, it's, it's an easy, convenient coping mechanism to do drugs or drink, you know, instead of deal with your problems. So all of that to say, it's useful to me to understand um, why people act a certain way. Like, why did I feel this way? Why do I still have these responses that don't line up with the external stimuli? You know what I mean? Like, so for me, guilt and shame, um, is, is wired wrong, you know, in my brain from, from abuse and from, um, probably drinking, like probably the effects of drinking have had an effect on my brain. So it helps me to learn the science behind it so that I'm not just like, I'm a crazy person who is sad. It's like, yes, there is some craziness going on, but it's also, you know, I'm a person who experienced a lot of different forms of trauma and I drank and did drugs on top of it. So that's informed who I am as a person. So, you know, all of that to say it's, it's useful for me to do 12 step stuff and it's useful for me to see a therapist, but I got to sort of approach it at all angles too. You know, I got to learn about PTSD. I got to learn about depression and anxiety. Otherwise I am doomed to do the same things that I did before as coping mechanisms. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening. Check out Whitney's stuff that I linked in the show notes. Check out my stuff that I linked in the show notes. Tell people you know who would like the show about it. And I will talk to you next week. You can do Impossible, you can do miracles, miracles, you can do them, have faith, you are human, only human, and human beings they do miracles.